Well, good morning, and thank you for uh, some of you swapped sides of where you parked and stuff. I don't know how full it was out there, but thanks for being flexible. And just a reminder, you can always follow uh, twitter.com slash Open Life Church, and if something like a full parking lot, we'll tweet it out in the morning, and you can kind of discover that you should follow the A-frames instead of whatever else might shorten the way. But thanks for being here. Basketball tournament over there, and uh, uh, a lot of people having fun on the property. But we are excited, second week of the series through, um, and, and a, a series that was really stirred up over the course of the last year. And uh, one of the things that I find myself in, in doing every week and being involved in the community and such is I find myself in business networking groups, these circles where people around the, uh, the room are encouraged to share like a few minutes or, or like, you know, some have like a five-minute window. Others have a 30-second, what they would call like elevator speech, where you would introduce yourself and maybe who a good referral would be for your business. And it's interesting because I often find a great line to drop in that room to actually begin the conversation is this line. A good referral, you know, I'd say, hey, my name's Thad, I'm the pastor of Open Life, we meet at Bond Lake High School at 10 a.m. on Sundays, and a good referral for me is someone who has never gone or doesn't go to church because they know a Christian, and then I stop. Everybody kind of goes, <laughs> and then they think about it while everybody else is introducing themselves, and they're like, yeah, you know, and we begin a conversation. Sad enough, that resonates with a massive portion of our culture. People don't come to church because they know a Christian. Well, I want to dialogue a bit about Jesus' approach at this today in a subject I would just call religiosity. And Matthew 15, 1 through 3, and then 7 through 9 says this. It's Jesus, uh, an occurrence in the life of Jesus with some um, hyper-faith people, I guess you could say. It says, some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Jesus goes on to give this illustration to them, but then he catches up in verse 7. He says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Rules taught by men. Our mission as believers, as followers of Jesus, is not to proclaim rules invented or taught by men. That would be a miserable faith, wouldn't it? And yet some assume that is our job. Unfortunately, the church has greatly become full of followers consumed with this alone. Uh, we got to learn somehow how to navigate our friends and loved ones through this cloud of religiosity in order that they may follow and have a growing relationship 
with Jesus, or more so that this one uh, that this one element does not rob our actions from their genuine intent of love. Because that's what happens. We're seen as those who have an agenda. Matthew 16, 6 catches up right after this teaching. He has an audience again of Pharisees and teachers of the law called Sadducees. And Jesus says, be careful. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The yeast was an illustration, not exact. He wasn't talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees were bakers. He was saying the yeast, this ingredient in their life that can actually change the whole course of the loaf of bread. It can change the course of what we're cooking, basically. Rick Joyner is the director of Morningstar Publications, and I found an interesting quote of his online when I was researching this subject. It says, all the cults and false religions combined have not done as much damage to the moves of God as the opposition or infiltration of the religious spirit in the church. Cults and false religions are easily discerned, but the religious spirit has thwarted or diverted possibly every revival or movement to date, and it still retains a seat of honor throughout most of the visible church. So here's how this message came about. Um, I was going to preach a talk today about the unexpected in our life and, and how to walk through people's lives when the unexpected happens, good or really bad. And uh, I was prepping this and about, well, really late at night one night, um, I just really sensed the Holy Spirit say to me, How can people be led through the unexpected if they cannot get through the cloud of religious elites or elitists that hinder them from reaching me? So I typed that question down, and the word religiosity came, and I was just like, that is a good question. I mean, we want to help people. I like Our heart is to love people. Our heart is to be present within our community, to be genuine, as we talked about last week, to be to be sincere in love. And, uh, but that's all. Like, people can't get to that if they can't get through the religious elitists in their life, those that would set up all these rules and barriers for people to get through. And so, how can we help others see that that's not the only way? And how did Jesus do it? And taking apart some passages today to discover that. But, and in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at how to help people through the mess. And then we're going to walk through with people how to, how to help people through injustice when it happens in and around their life and, and why we should do that. And, you know, but, but today I want to hone in on this subject that I think Paul was writing about it in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 when he said, he said, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. 
Those are brutal characteristics. And uh, if they exist and thrive within the church, then truly our desire to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus is hindered, and we, we do have to discover how to lead them through it. Faith that actually becomes the objective beyond the desired pursuit of Scripture, which is God and His mission, is kind of what we're, we're facing here. It's when, when we do Christianity about Christianity versus about God, who is the reason Christianity exists, right? Don't we get our focus off on the things we can see and understand? So let this be a great reminder for our mission and, and what we are to do. In fact, Jesus challenged us. In, in your Bible, it says probably the greatest command. And he was challenging, again, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were coming and always trying to trap Jesus because he was breaking all their rules. And that made them upset, all their traditions. And he said this in Matthew 22, 34 through, through 40. Here's the occurrence. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I love uh, how, how it's in every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I love how Luke concludes it. Luke 10, 28 says uh, that Jesus said this. Because uh, he actually had the guy answer him in that occurrence. He says, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Do this and you'll live. If you really want to live, love God. I love your neighbor. It's all wrapped up in that. That's what it's all about. We are saved to make Jesus known. And we accomplish that by loving God and loving others. We say here, uh, you know, making it even more practical because sometimes that's really ambiguous. Well, how do I do that? Well, you connect with people. You serve people. And you share life with people. You share your story with people. Connect and serve and share and cyclically over and over again, and it impacts people's lives. So here are the two questions Jesus asked that I want us to hone in on here for the next while yeah, to help us get through the cloud, if you would. And there's little, like, two fill-ins, which you probably could already figure out there if you want to take notes or whatnot. But the first thing, the first question that really Jesus is making us ask in these texts is, why break tradition? Why break tradition? Now, I know that some of you in this room, one of your greatest values is tradition. Like, that is your why, if you would. That's like you exist to, to, to fulfill all the traditions that are out there. That's a motivator for you. You're, 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 you're stirred by tradition. But the reality is, is methods are not sacred. But we often tend to make them sacred, don't we? The method. Our message is the same, but our methods must adjust with time. The best ways of doing church are yet to be invented. Isn't that tough to grasp? We've yet to invent the best way to reach our neighbors. I like 
instead of to call them like services or gatherings or whatever, I, I, I've been using this word lately, expressions of the church, because I really believe that there's a lot of expressions yet to occur. The word expression means the manner or form in which a thing is expressed. I love words that define themselves with themselves, isn't it? Well, then what does expressed mean? But anyway, you know, how are we going to share this message of God sending His Son, taking our place on the cross, the grave, raising from the dead so that we could have life, life eternally if we put our faith in Jesus? How, how can we get this message that we're messed up and we need saving and that once we're saved, we're supposed to be the savers, people leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus? How do we get that? out. Well, it's going to have to be many expressions. Some people are introverts. A gathering is like terrifying for them. And if we say, like, you have to come into a big room and we're going to crank up loud music and you got to jump around, everybody has to come forward and raise their hands and speak in another language. Weird meter. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, go find another place. Online church. If we're the ones who gather and we're inspired by jumping around and worshiping and we buy the $500 tickets to go see Hillsong and can't, you know, and we're like, yeah, I'm going to be in the mosh pit worshiping Jesus. If that's us, uh, we don't relate to those who would rather do church in an online community. But if we voice my way of doing church is the best way, you're kind of secondary Christian because you're online with it. Is that true? No, it's another expression that helps them grow in their relationship with Jesus. Kind of interesting to consider. We need many forms to reach many people. And if we force everyone into one form, we'll reach a very minute number of our community because of our tradition. We must empower creativity and embrace new expressions of sharing the faith and growing in relationship with one another, loving God and loving our neighbors together, right? We've got to somehow embrace this. Sitting down this week with, with Bruce, our, our new student life pastor, and just brainstorming what youth ministry looks like today and realizing the answer is probably going to come from students. And you're going... Because you could easily say it has to look like this, 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 and this, but, you know, does it? Does it have to be what it's always been? Has that been the most successful? I mean, even the church, we've reached 4 to 12%, depending on what survey you read. Has it really been the best model? When there's 88% of people out there still not following Jesus? There may be some things we have to do. And maybe it's both and versus either or, I'm sure. You know, both the gathering and the group and the missional community. Instead of, well then, we scrap the service. Let's just go for coffee shops, you know. I mean, coffee's good. Anyway, so you just got to kind of think through and not make rash jump-offs. Because our new thing is the next tradition, right? Uh, we... What expressions can we empower leaders and students to function within to begin to taking the gospel to their friends? Begin able, being able to purely love their neighbor without in, being inhibited by the environment that's already created. How can we empower students to reach those they care about, they love? And our focus is not 
energizing our Christian students to just come together amongst themselves and let's keep them pure from the world. Our focus is to impact those around them. We, need, we don't need more Christian huddles, right? And, uh, but it was fun to brainstorm and just ask questions that really you can't answer yet and think, oh, Lord, what are you going to do? This is going to be very cool to see. We've got to detach ourselves from what we've known at times. We've got to allow our minds to be renewed so that God can do what he has to do today. We know the message. We know the gospel. We know Jesus. We need to grow in our knowledge of him. But how can we lead every student in our region into being served and someone loving them because they love God? It's, it's intriguing to brainstorm. Expressions. Our methods are not the same as the traditional church at Open Life. And while that should be celebrated, you know, the traditional church's reach should be celebrated. There's a place for the traditional church. And speaking a message like this, I think Jesus must have actually been torn when he was, you know, speaking to the religious people because they had bridged this. They'd been trying to bring people to his Father, God, right? But yet, he was rebuking them because the amount of people they were turning away. He had to have been torn and ripped up about it. As I was prepping this talk, I'm like, this is kind of brutal a little bit towards some. And yet, it needs to be said. I really think that God's heart is broken for his church. And while we celebrate what has been done, there's so much more to do, and what has been done often gets in our way. I used to lead a group of students when I was a youth pastor on Sunday nights in our home. And the church that we were youth pastors at still had a Sunday night church service. So for those who didn't grow up in the church, usually the ones who came out on Sunday night were the more committed, right? Uh, They were the more devoted. They were uh, the ones who prayed through and thought a little more of uh, themselves and their faith than maybe they ought to have, right? And so oftentimes, I remember coming and, and rubbing shoulders with those that were uh, in the church, and I would have the students from our group, and our group was growing, and we were finally reaching students on Sunday night, which we weren't with the Sunday night service. And I was like, oh, this is a good thing, right? We were doing group, and then you would walk into uh, a group of adults that were in that service, and they'd go, well, if you're a real followers of Jesus, you would have been in the service with us. So these students are like, I'm not a real follower. Oh, so my faith isn't, oh, okay. And they disappear. And you're like, as the youth pastor, you're like, that hurt, right? I've been in a church that had a traditional service early and uh, like a more contemporary service later. And I remember dialoguing with some of the elderly people who liked robes and hymns in the first service, and they would say, you know, you really should get your students to attend the first service with us so they can do real worship. And you're like, I think we're missing the, I think we're missing the mark here, aren't we? You know? And I remember just being torn because at times... I was hired not to actually lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. At times, as a full-time youth pastor, I was finding myself being paid to propagate church. 
I, I was trying to create, I wasn't trying to create people in, into followers of Jesus. I was trying to create kids into church kids. And, and it was very demo, demotivating. And eventually we started a church <laughs> so that we could do that, right? I mean, it, it, I was torn. We must be determined to not be those who cause another to stumble because of our traditions. There's room for every expression. In fact, without more expressions of the church, we'll leave a massive portion unreached in our community. I think of this Easter, and there's an online church called lifechurch.tv. They can kind of help do the Bible, you know, you version you use on your phone. That's, that's out of this church. They fund it from their church, and so now we all have Bibles on our digital phones and stuff because of these guys. And this church in their online campuses and physical campus, that church, which was persecuted at the beginning because of their strategy of reaching people with like video screens, preaching, and different things, uh, they had over 85,000 people in church via the internet or physically sitting there on Easter. 85,000. But there's still people who would say, yeah, but that's not they're not really following Jesus. And then you get the, these ones get me, and this is the woe to you. You know, Jesus says that. I'll read those passages in a second. But this phrase, just promise me, raise your right hand and say you'll never see this, you'll never say this about a new expression of the church. What Jesus are they following? When I hear that phrase, it gets me. It just bothers me. Um, I don't want to be the person to, to ju- make that judgment. The second question we really need to ask is, who is our love for? Who is our love for? Is our love for God or our method? Is our love for God or our tradition? Is our love for God or ourselves? Are we trying to build ourselves up? Pride is the central driver for all sin, and including the sin of the religious spirit. In Jesus' day, those people were called the Pharisees and Sadducees that were religiously prideful. And oftentimes we can, we can worship worship instead of worshiping God. It has to be a certain way, a certain style, a certain sound. We can worship the church instead of being God's church. We can worship the junction, or we'll put our emphasis and we'll put our love on the junction of people crossing the line of faith. Like when they say, Jesus, come into my heart, I want to follow you. They check a box, take a card, whatever. You know, we can worship that moment more than we thank God and love people along the journey and after they cross that junction of faith. Because we need to love people no matter where they're at in life's plane not just because they choose to follow Jesus. If our friendships revolve around someone making a choice to follow Jesus, we're shallow, and we should put ourselves in check. I, st- I still love all of you. This is, this is what God was downloading into me, and I'm just regurgitating it, and this may miss. Uh, but I, I hope it's resonating with you as much as it is me, because it bothers me, and, and honestly, I, uh, I get messed up over this stuff, because I love people, and it bothers me when somebody's trying to make an authentic approach at Jesus and we get in the way. It bothers me. 
Last summer, it seemed like every church that I respect and love and, and rub shoulders with and, and am encouraged by started preaching this message called Heart for the House. And uh, um, at first it was cool. I was like, oh, that's awesome, Heart for the House. It's biblical. Uh, you know, the, this shall be my house, you know, the house of God. And, and, uh, and that's what they're talking about, Heart for the House. And, uh, but we were at some different environments as a team, and, and they said it so much. Like, they almost didn't mention Jesus. It was like, man, I just love the house. I love the house, you know, and it was the house, the house, the house, the heart for the house, got to have the house. You know, love the house, love coming to the house, love spending time in the house. We love making the house known. We love the house. And I'm going, I started thinking. I actually um, got a little cynical. Uh, during the course of this. And uh, it's a biblical concept to be the house of God. But if you love, in fact, the, the church is called the bride of Christ, right? The church, this, what they're referring to as the house is the bride of Christ. And there was so much talk of the house that I began to draw an illustration in my mind that uh, the house was like, the, the, that people were more focused on the bride than uh, the, than Jesus. Think about this in a relationship, a friendship you have. Let's, let's say you're around having coffee and all the person with you talks about is your wife. Dudes, just think about this. You know, man, your wife, I got to tell you, your wife is awesome. Your wife is so amazing. And your wife, your wife, you know, and you're, you're, so how's things going? Good, but your wife, you know, I mean, Love spending time with your wife. You do, huh? You know what I'm saying? This kind of gets a little awkward, doesn't it? When you take this illustration out a little ways, it just gets a little, it's like, hey, let's go fishing. I would, but I'm going to be with your wife. You really? Yeah, I would. Well, hey, you have, a, you know, um, why don't you go help your neighbors that are doing a cleanup and, the, and, and you could rub shoulders with some people. We need to meet some more people in the community. I would, but you know what? I have a commitment with your wife already. I'm not going to make it. Heart for the house, you know, and, it, and you're just going, wow. You take that illustration out and it started bothering me, as you could tell. And, uh, and, and, and it distracted me because I'm ADD, I'm sure, unmedicated. You would eventually get really ticked. And I wonder, I just wonder, does the, ch- does the church sometime and people within it is Jesus get a little miffed because we're all about the church versus him? He wants to hang out with us. He wants to grow in relationship with us. But we're all about the house. It's not bad to have a love for the church. It's not bad. And we do need a love and respect for the church. And it's an honor to serve and to, uh, uh, to be the church. But our motivation has to be God. It has to be Jesus. It, it can't be the house. Because the house changes. You know, locations change. Where you park changes. Where you, you know, I mean, it's just like the A-frames point different directions. It shouldn't matter where we're at because we're worshiping, we're worshiping God. Unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of churches full of people having an affair 
on Jesus with his wife. <laughs> and uh, it's distracting to those who are trying to find Jesus because what they find is a bunch of people in love with church and their idea of church versus in love with Jesus, and they can't find Jesus through it. There's this cloud of religiosity in the way. I feel like I'm church bashing, and so I have to be careful, you know, but this is honestly just like Jesus turned tables in the church. Jesus rebukes people. Here's, listen to these passages. Luke eleven forty six. You experts of the law, woe to you. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. You yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. How about Luke eleven fifty two? Woe to you, experts of the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely. You think? You know? <laughs> and they wanted to besiege him with questions. The intent of the Bible in faith is to turn our belief and adoration to God through Jesus, not to turn our adoration towards our strategies, our methods, our ways. Faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, right? And leading others into faith in Jesus. We've got to be careful not to be the believers that take on odd and abnormal practices in hopes that we can some create some additional thing in our life that helps us feel like we're saved. Um, you, you know, we've been to some odd places. We've walked into, we've gone on so many trips and missions trips and journeys. And we've been into some really weird church environments that you're just going, how is this growing I have seen a pastor hit in the face with a stick with a flag on it on a Sunday morning before. It was amazing. It was kind of funny. I was very distracted. But, you know, I mean, you know, just wham! This guy's nose, like, oh! You know, and you're like, you know, we try to stir up the Spirit. We try to stir up God. Jesus is just saying, come to me, all who are weary. My burden is light. You don't have to do all these things to find me. All those things are of man, and Ephesians makes it very clear that of no effort on our own should we be able to find salvation, right? Grace is by faith alone, not by works of man so that we can't boast. If we can create an environment where God can move, then it was us that did it and not God. God doesn't want that. He wants to mess that up if it exists. Tower of Babel. He scattered people because he realized what they were doing was on their own effort and not of his. Watch out for the believers that are sharing the gospel for their own advancement in faith versus for a genuine desire that others meet Jesus and the love of God is just overflowing in their lives so they're sharing about Jesus. Remember our drive to be sincere. Love must be sincere. These... Unfortunately, are things that exist, and they're experiences people have all the time in the world around us. And uh, this last summer, when we were getting ready to, to baptize people, um, I had one person call me and try to convince me not to baptize someone. And uh, 
I tried as much as possible not to be a jerk in this moment, you know. Uh, and I, I was in this interesting place, right, where I was just, I, I, I was torn because I wanted, I knew I was supposed to listen, but I just wanted to kind of correct. But I listened because I was being told this person shouldn't be baptized because they didn't understand the theological significance of what happens when you go underwater and come back up, a full understanding of the death and resurrection of Christ and the spiritual impact that that has. And, and, and they explained to me that when they were baptized, they went through a uh, three-week class and had to do a Bible study to look through all the rules and the things about water. I was just like, where is that in the Bible? Where is that? Why do we come up with man-made rules? And isn't that what Jesus was coming against here? Is that we try to like create rules in people's way? And I, I, was just, I said, you know, I'm, I, I just have to respectfully disagree with you um, on this one. I don't see... Uh, I don't see any reason that this person should not be baptized if they choose to be baptized, if they understand what they're doing. You know, as far as like, you know, they're old enough. We tell children, you know, sometimes children have no idea what water baptism is. And, and, but when they get old enough, they're like, yeah, I understand. I, I invited Jesus into my life, and I want to publicly declare that I have made that choice. That's, that's all you need to know. Awesome. Then that's a win. But boy, was I when I hung up the phone finally, a little bit irate because someone's traditions wanted to prevent someone from growing closer to Jesus, and we should never allow that to happen. I remember speaking with the person afterwards and just encouraging them to go ahead and be baptized and, and, and in love help them understand and walk their way through this cloud of religiosity in the moment. And they were so excited to follow through with water baptism that day. What's the cloud that's gotten in between you and Jesus? The Apostle Paul said it was himself. And it was his pride. And it led him to be spiritually zealous in a way that really turned people away. It killed people, actually, before he followed Jesus. It says in Romans 10, 2, I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. He says it in this way in Philippians 3 about himself. It is, uh, for it is we who are the circumcised, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put on Put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee. Who was Jesus rebuking throughout these passages? Pharisees, right? As for zeal, persecuting the church... As for legalistic righteousness, 
faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. I may gain Christ, that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I honestly hope you fill these out when you're here, no matter how old you are. Just complete the card because we care about you. But on the back, we have potential steps to take. And, you know, it says, today my next step is, and I think our cures for this religiosity thing is actually knowing God better. We need to grow in our love for God, spend more time reading and praying. Our cures for this thing are, are loving our neighbor more. That means we're going to connect with them and serve them, eat with them, hang out with them. Uh, and we need to become the connector because oftentimes the most spiritual person in someone's life could be the biggest hindrance to their finding Jesus. Can we be the one who's just real, genuine? And maybe today, and this isn't on your card, so you'll have to write it down to respond, but maybe today you're finding yourself needing to repent because you've been pridefully zealous and it's involved your traditions. And it's caused you to do things that really, you know, okay, yeah, that was just kind of my own tradition that led me to be that or do that. And you're getting this little check inside of you and God wants to respond. He wants you to respond today and just say, I'm sorry. And be the person that would put your emphasis on making Jesus known and not making all the rules and practices and traditions the main thing because they're not the main thing. And so today for our response, we're just going to sing a little bit here. And, and I want you to consider what most applies to you on the back of that card. In a couple of weeks, we're going to jump into a series, uh, two, just two weeks, so we can't hit everything. But we're going to do an FAQ series, Frequently Asked Questions. And I think some of the questions, and we're going to put a thing out on the city. If you don't know what that is, go on to livinglifeopen.com this week. But um, we're going to put a thing out on the city that says, can you, can you give us some of the questions you're frequently asked? Because we want to help you navigate through the questions that come at you. And I guarantee 90% of the questions you're asked of the faith are questions generated from somebody's experience with a religious elitist. And it turned them away, statistically said in the book Lost and Found by Ed Stetzer, the average person, when they have a negative experience with a Christian, it'll take them seven years before they'll, re, they'll try to reapproach Jesus. And if they have another negative experience, it'll be another seven years before they would be willing to give it another shot. That means it matters when we have a conversation with somebody about the faith. And we need to be full of grace and love, not full of 
religiosity. So God, thanks for interrupting the talk that was supposed to happen today and steering us towards dropping all the stuff that's not of you and it's of us and our traditions. We don't want to spread traditions of men and rules made by men. We don't want to have spirituality without power. We don't want to have faith without Jesus. We want to fall in love with you more. We want to love others more genuinely. We want to make Jesus known. Put you in the spotlight, not our practices, traditions. And help us love the churches around us that are focused on tradition. They have a place for those they've reached. They're trying to keep all those that they've had come through their door. But Lord, you've put a mission on us to reach, to lead people into a growing relationship with you. So can you give us the discernment, the wisdom, the understanding of how to navigate through the cloud of spiritual distractions as people grow closer to Jesus? In reality, some of the most religious spiritual people in our friends' lives that don't know you are going to be the ones that oppose them growing in their relationship with you in a new way. So Lord, help us discern how to guide them through that mess and be the ones that would just love genuinely. In Jesus' name, let's worship him this morning.